0: Well, it's good to um, come to God's Word together. I don't know if Pastor Andrew talked about um, resolutions last week. If he did, we'll talk about them again. No, um, it's, it's the beginning of the year, and, and this is our Sunday of the year that we talk a little bit about the coming year and reflect on the last year. And good time to think about resolutions. Uh, it's interesting, a little bit earlier in 2014, a university, University of Scranton, they decided that it was worthwhile to do a study on New Year's resolutions. Okay? And some interesting things came out of that. One of the things that came, we're about two weeks into the new year, is that about 29% of your resolutions have already been broken. Is that about right? No, you don't have to admit to that. (laughs) Um, But one of the other things that it said is, over the course of the year, only about 8% of resolutions we make actually will be followed through on. Interesting, isn't it? And it makes you think of why. Why don't we follow through on things? For those of you that go to the gym and have been complaining on Facebook the last two weeks that the the parking lot's really crowded, because of New it'll change. That's what that says. Only 8% of the people will actually stay, and you'll be fine. But why don't we follow through on things like that? And, And there's many reasons, I'm sure, and the study came out with many reasons, but one of the reasons that kept coming up was the idea of motivation. It depends on what is motivating us to do that. And isn't that the case? Think in terms of if you want to make some health changes or some diet changes. It's one thing to say, I want to make some diet changes. But if the doctor looks at you and says, you have to to survive this year, there's a different motivation there, right? I've seen people make drastic changes when it comes to their life. But when it's just, you know, it's for fun and I just want to look better or feel a little better, sometimes that's a lot harder of a motivation to, to have that keep us going. Think of Bible reading. That's one of the common resolutions is I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. And then something happens a couple weeks in and we're just not sure. We didn't get to it that day and so we feel like we've failed and we stop and and we forget that that's just something we can come to any day before our God. And we forget the motivation. Because if the motivation to read God's Word is just to check off a resolution, then we probably will eventually drop that. But if our motivation is something much deeper that, that says, I know that I love my God and I can learn, learn about my God in the Word, that He loves me and this is His letter to me, and if, we, if the motivation is relationship, there's a much higher chance that we will actually carry that through. So there's reasons we do things. And that's a little bit of what we want to talk about today. Taking a break today from 1 Corinthians and talking about the year to come and, and sort of where we're going and some of the things that the elders and I are, are really praying we keep in mind as a church. You know, the, the idea of motivations hit home this week, actually. We're at the dinner table. And, and one of my three angels was... Um, they are just just acting up, you know, squirming, and every now and then would would hit their sibling. Ah, you don't know which one if I say it that way. Would would, would hit their sibling, and, and, and Susan and I are like, "You're at the table, calm down." And we we eat together, and we we have certain standards that we want there, and and they just couldn't do it, and, and they couldn't stop. Sometimes laughing, sometimes getting angry. And then we we noticed that one of the others had this smug little smile on their face. If you've ever, if you have kids, you know what I mean. And we look under the table, and the other one was doing this to the one that was getting in trouble. And every time they'd kick them, did I keep that gender neutral? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Every time they'd kick them, there would be a scream or or sometimes a reaction of, of a slap or a hit. And we're like, this is not what our family's about. But the motivation is what we didn't know. And so we just thought it was was child. I'm not going to use ABC X <laughs> being naughty. I, I've been told that sometimes I give away which child I'm talking about. Uh, it, it wasn't just that they're being naughty, it was that they're being prompted in some way. And, and so if we think about that this year, we'd like to think about, okay, what is the prompting of our actions? What is causing our actions? Right now we're in a series on, on 1 Corinthians. And we're finishing up last year where we talked about be God's church, build God's church. And so last year we went through um, several different series. We looked at the book of Joshua together, uh, of God's people coming together to do God's work. And then we, we spent some time teaching through the purpose of the church and the core values of the church. And then now we're going through 1 Corinthians again, how does the church remain the church and be God's church in an ungodly world, in an ungodly culture, which you just have to look at the news any given day. And man, we're in an ungodly culture. So how do we stand strong and stand firm? And, and the danger with something like that is a great thing to study, but if we just treat that as this is a list of things we can and can't do, then we'll, we'll, our motivation is wrong. Our motivation will fail us and we'll be like, okay, First Corinthians taught a whole bunch of really good things, but I, I just can't try any harder. I can't do this on my own anymore. And so this year, as a leadership team, we'd like to spend some time then going back to our motives. I think it's a great follow-up to First Corinthians, and say, okay, what does motivate us? What should our focus be? How do we we make sure that we're focused on the things? that will help us walk with God, that will help us live godly lives. You know, As I look through 2014, I am just thrilled with ministry that has happened here. So many wonderful things. I've I've seen the deepest work that I've seen in our congregation at reaching our our community around our church and our neighborhood that I've ever seen. And we've seen incredible response. We've seen response in the kids coming to Awana, kids coming to Christ. We've seen them just really grasping who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. In Awana and VBS and Sunday school and now we're looking for ways to reach parents. You know, some of the other things that I was reflecting on 2014, um, Project Touch this last month. I don't think I ever talked to you as a congregation about that after the fact. I commend you. I commend you as servants of God for coming out and participating in that we had with the highest particip- participation we've ever had and on what could have been a rainy day but it turned out to be okay we we delivered gifts to every house in this neighborhood 440 houses there's not 440 of us here but because we came together and focused on being God's church and building God's church God used that in amazing ways and just some of the stories that i heard of of people coming back and what people said at the door, and some people that have been here a few years now and are getting used to what our church is and, and who we are and what we stand for. Um, you know, I, I, it is great, it, it brings me great joy to see this last year the participation in our Sunday school classes, especially our adult Sunday school classes, as we have a number of different options and people really thriving in those and building relationships, studying God's Word and community these are just great things. So how do we go on? Where do we go? And what is the motivation that will help us continue some of these things and, and finish out? And So the, the direction we want to go this year, and I hesitate to call it a theme because each sermon series sort of is its own theme, but, but the idea that I want to talk about today is behold our God. Behold our God. What does it mean to really put our focus and our attention On God, and then how do we respond to that? How do we make sure that we are working to live for God under His strength and not our strength, which will fail us, as we see in New Year's resolutions? You know, as I as I talk with people, I know that so many have given so much for ministry, but I'm also watching this last year Satan attack in so many different ways and a lot of trials. A lot of medical things coming up. Job issues and financial issues and relationship concerns and family concerns. And it's time to remind ourselves not to focus on those things. Not to let those be so, so huge that we can't think of anyone else, anything else, and to bring our focus back to who God is. Because that's the only answer for any situation that we're in is who our God is, what His nature is, what His character is. So the first part of of the the graphic you see up there, Behold Our God. I'd like to do something a little different this morning and practice this one. So I'm not going to give you three handy-dandy how-to points about how to behold our God. We're just going to do it this morning. that sound good? We're going to take a, a chapter that extols who God is, And just read it and enjoy understanding our God and and learning about our God. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll be looking at 9 through 31. And and it starts, and it'll start by talking about beholding our God. And the word behold, just so we know, it's, it's this idea of to gaze on intently, to focus on. And it's usually used as an exclamation to get our attention on something. If I was to stand here and say, look what Don is doing. Don's like, what? He looked up right away. I got his attention. Most of you turned around and looked at Don, right? Because I directed your attention to one focal point. Hi, (laughs) Don. Yeah. (laughs) That's what the word behold does. It says, look here. Don't miss this. Pay attention to this. One of the the definitions that I really liked was to perceive through sight. And so it's more than when you perceive something, it's more than just a casual glance. It's an understanding. And so when we say, Behold our God, it's a seeing who God is, but more than a casual glance, it's it's a it's a perceiving who God is, a a digging deeper. And saying, Who is this God that I, I say I serve? That I say I follow. And so we come to Isaiah 40. The background of this chapter helps a little bit, helps us understand just how, how significant this chapter is. Isaiah is, is writing to the children of Israel, to Judah in this case. And there's some debate of the timing of Isaiah chapter 40 and, and where this prophecy came in. More than likely, though, it's, it's following up on Isaiah 39, where the children of Israel were just taken into captivity in Babylon. And so they've been taken away into exile from the land that they were promised, from their homes, families. Some have been killed. Some have been separated. And they are in Babylon completely a part of everything they thought they wanted. Every dream they had, every hope they had, because it was for the, for the Israelite, it was about their land. The promised land. And we saw that in Joshua, didn't we? That that was a special gift from God. And so imagine a people in exile some in prison, some just away and can't go back, away from family, away from everything they love, how would they be feeling? There, there would be a height of discouragement, especially as exile wore on. This wasn't just a two-week trip. This was years. And so Isaiah 40 comes as God's word to a people that are really struggling, a people that are discouraged, a people that have been disciplined by God because the exile was about God's judgment and discipline on the people. But then we read this incredible chapter where God is encouraging His people. And I'd like to start at the end. Is that okay? So look at the end, verse 31. And I was talking to the elders yesterday. This is sort of one of those coffee cup verses that we have on coffee cups, on signs, because it's a great verse. And I, I don't I don't say that's a bad thing. I love having verses all over. And, and one of our goals this year is to put a lot more Scripture around campus. Um, but at the end, verse 31, "...but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." Isn't that a great verse? It, it's encouraging to say... Wow, God is going to give us strength. He's going to renew us. He's going to help us mount up like eagles and and not be weary. Anyone here a little weary sometimes? Sometimes even in service of God, we get a little weary. And I think again, that's that's a motivation or a motives issue. And so that's the end of the chapter. That's the conclusion where Isaiah is going. Where God, the Holy Spirit, through Isaiah, is leading them. But what's interesting is let's look at the chapter to see how they got there. How were they able to have strength? How were they able to mount up with wings like eagles? Because this this verse doesn't stand by itself. So I'd like to go back to verse 9. And and in your notes you see just a list of observations from the text. Like I said, it's, it's not so much points as we go through this, but these are some of my observations about God out of the text. There's a lot more, okay? So these are not magic points this morning. Not that they ever are. But this, this passage is just full of, of concepts about who God is. And it's just such a joy to read. Let's start at verse nine. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, these people that are in distress, behold your God. And so he starts by saying, Behold your God. Look at Him. Gaze on Him. That should be our focus. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. And we see the might of God and this idea of conquering. The reward was the word they used for a bounty from a battle. But then 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And so we see the might of God, but we see the comfort of God in these two verses. What an incredible start to this passage talking about the nature of God. We see His might and His care. and all of these things, as we talked about when we went through the attributes of God, All of these things work together. If God is not mighty, can He really truly care and do something about it? No. You have to have both. And so, Isaiah here, the Holy Spirit through Isaiah, is drawing their attention away from the captivity to who God is. We get to verse 12. 12 12-14. Just verse 12 first. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? You might have different things that pop out of that verse. For me, it tells of His greatness. That God is great. The first phrase there, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, it's the idea that in God's hand, is all of the oceans of the world, all of the lakes, all of the streams, and it's in His hand, and and He can just measure it. If you can measure something, then you're over that. You have control over that. And What a picture of, of God's might with the oceans. The next phrase is, He marked off the heavens with a span. And a span... Just hold up your hand for a minute like this towards me. A span is that distance between your thumb and pinky. Okay? Now, if you looked in the sky... It says that God can measure all of the stars, all of the heavens, in a a span. Isn't that neat? Isn't that amazing? Have you ever just walked outside and looked at the sky? Well, if you're not here, if you're in the mountains where you can actually see that there's stars, I can just stand there and look, and and just with open mouth, because it is so amazing. And I can't even come close to, to counting them. Sometimes on the college retreat, Rick Powell will will bring his binoculars, his high-powered binoculars. and Not quite a telescope, but we'll just focus on one part of the sky and these stars just come into sight that you can't even see with the naked eye. It's amazing. We're fascinated with the heavens, aren't we? But think about this. Yesterday in the news, what happened? Any, Any space fans out there? Yesterday in the news, we had a, a rocket launch. A commercial Falcon 9 rocket was launched by SpaceX, one of our, our private companies, working on, on um, cargo and, and, and space flight. And they're shipping a, a cargo container to the, the space station. And it's big news that we can get 150 miles above Earth. That's huge news. And, and, that it, and actually, when it's, it's a reusable um, flight vehicle... And did you read about it came down and it did hit the platform they wanted to land on, but it didn't quite stop in time. And, and so it crashed into the platform. And so it was a marginal, it considered marginally successful because the, the launch was successful, the return not so much. And, and for us, that's incredible. Look what they did. That verse said, God with the span of his hand measures the heaven. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Blows me away. So we have the ocean. The stars. The next phrase in verse 12, He enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. We won't spend this long on every verse, but this one's incredible. Captured all the dust of the earth in one container. So He can measure all of the land, all of the dirt, all of the the stuff we walk on in one container. He can weigh the mountains, the next phrase says. Weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. These are all the things that we consider incredible. I love going to the mountains. I love going up to to Rock Creek and Mammoth area and seeing the eastern Sierras. It's it's heaven for me. It's that incredible. I look at that and see the majesty of God and His Word says, he, He measures those in His hand. What I consider incredible, He created with a word. Isaiah is bringing our attention back to beholding our God, putting things in perspective, a proper biblical perspective. And so we see God's greatness. We read on in verse 13 and 14 Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? And these are rhetorical questions that all have have the implication that no one taught this to God. That God is all these things on His own. And for me, in verses thirteen and fourteen, I see God's wisdom and God's justice. He is all wise, all knowing. But he, He alone is the path of true justice. No one taught Him knowledge. No one had to show God how to make creation. Because God is God. And He alone is God. Verse 15, we see the word behold again as Isaiah is Okay, look again. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. And they would have understood that, but Lebanon is just north of Israel and it had the great cedar forest. So it was the place for wood. The greatest place for wood that they knew of. And it's saying that wouldn't even have enough wood for fuel for offerings to God. There's not enough beasts. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. And those verses remind me that He is the great King his great kingship, and our smallness. When it says that we are like a drop in a bucket, the nations are less than nothing, Isaiah here isn't trying to say that God doesn't care about those things. We have so many other scriptures that talk about God's care for all people and and even the lilies of the field. But he's talking about the the status of and the, the power and the strength and the might and the sovereignty. We like to be in control, right? So, some of you, probably half of you here are control freaks. You, you like to be in control. And, and the interesting thing is none of us are. None of us are because God is sovereign. And He holds all things in His hands. Would that be important to hear as you're sitting in captivity in Babylon? As you've lost hope of ever going home? He goes on. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. A little bit of sarcasm here in this one. Verse 20. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Some of your translations say that will not topple. Because it was was really embarrassing if you created an idol and you're worshiping it and it falls over. There's some symbolism there that just doesn't work for for worship and worshiping this idol. And Isaiah is saying, "Do, do you see what you do sometimes? You create these idols. You focus on other things. Remember, Remember that at their time, and they're in wartime, that the culture viewed the attacking army, the winning army, as having the winning gods. So whoever won, and Israel's in captivity, it looks like Babylon has won. Or if some people say this is about Assyria surrounding Jerusalem, either way, you can see the dilemma of, okay, if we're not winning what we see in our eyes, where is our God? In other nations we know would 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 mock Israel at times, who is your God? Your God is nothing, especially as Nehemiah was trying to to rebuild the walls. But God is reminding them, nothing else compares with me. And so for me, my, my observation there is there is no one like him. So a whole lot of other observations you can have. But there's no one like him. He is far above anyone anything as we go through these i hope maybe some of the words that we worshiped this morning are coming back because several of the worship songs include these concepts remind us of how great god is as we were singing and as i was listening to the songs when i when i hear songs like our god is greater our god is stronger and 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 doesn't it stir something inside you i'm gonna go take the hill We're going to go do this for God, and and that's what a focus on God, beholding our God, does for us. Is it changes our focus from our own little puny strength to God's greatness? That He is Almighty and He is Sovereign. He is King. Verse twenty one goes on. Isaiah isn't done. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Again, not saying we're worthless, but looking at how great God is compared to to who we are. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who bring princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. And you see in those verses that God is Lord of creation. He's Lord of all creation. You see his strength, you see his sovereignty. You see that the rulers of this world can never come against God and win. He is Lord of creation. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? It's a reminder that nothing compares to God. There is no comparison. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And what he's saying there is really sort of what I I said earlier go outside and look up. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. It's an answer that, that this world doesn't have and, and their, their attempts to answer it and take God out of the equation are entirely unsatisfactory. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. There's a lot of stars. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might, because He is strong in power, not one is missing. This is just fun to to go to science a little bit to help us see the greatness of God, the magnitude of who He is. If we think about the heavens, we're here on, on really, compared to all of the universe, tiny little earth, right? Tiny planet earth. Our closest star is the sun. Just some facts about the sun. It generates energy with its own internal nuclear fission. The surface of the sun is, you know, a relatively cool 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The center is closer to 27 million degrees, they estimate. The diameter of the sun is 870,000 miles or 109 times larger than the Earth. In fact, if you took the volume of the sun and you started putting Earths inside of it, over a million Earths would fit inside the sun. Get the idea of the Earth and the sun? Its luminosity is equal to 4 trillion 100-watt light bulbs, one author said. That's more than Home Depot has. And our sun is just an average star among thousands, among millions. In fact, our solar system is inside the galaxy called the Milky Way. And this galaxy we live in—it's shaped like a spiral. You've seen pictures of the Milky Way, and it's, it has the center mass and then these spiral arms that come out of it—a gigantic pinwheel spinning in the open expanse of space. We lie about—got to find my spot. We lie about two-thirds of the way out from the center of the galaxy. Two-thirds of the way out—that's sort of the boonies when it comes to the Milky Way. The Milky Way is over a hundred and four thousand light years across. That means it would take 104,000 years for light to go from one end of the Milky Way to another. It contains over 100 billion stars, of which the sun is just one and the earth is, uh, is tiny next to. Starting to feel it a little bit? Not done. To count the, these 100 billion stars would take us over 3,000 years. According to the latest probings of the Hubble Space Telescope, there then are hundreds of billions of galaxies in God's universe. Hundreds and billions of Milky Ways. So Earth, tiny. Sun, big. But really, part of a solar system that's just tiny in the Milky Way. But the Milky Way is just one of a huge number of galaxies. Let me read that verse again. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, no one is missing. That gives me chills. That is our God. That is who we serve. That is who loved us enough to pursue us and send His Son to die on the cross in our place for our sins because He wants relationship with us. He doesn't need it. He wants it. That's motivation. Verse 27 goes on to say, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. And he's starting to deal with some of their discouragement here. And he's saying, so, so in light of this... Why do you say, oh, God doesn't know what I'm going through? God doesn't understand. Have you not known? Have you not heard in verse 28? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And the Holy Spirit here brings us back to that He is the eternal, sustaining Creator God. The eternal, sustaining Creator God. We can't understand him. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get discouraged. And then, after that description of God, then we get to the verses of encouragement. And, and that is a significant order of things that you'll find throughout Scripture. And Job, Job is wondering why, what is going on. And do you remember what the answer was at the end of Job 38 and 39? God brings them back to who He is. He doesn't ever tell them why. He tells them who. And He says, I am God. I am Almighty. I can." Where were you when I did these things? He's bringing Job's focus back to beholding his God. Here, Isaiah is bringing the, the Israelites back to a focus of who is their God. And so we see 29, 30, and 31. Now we read them I think with a whole lot more weight and a whole lot more power. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Doesn't it carry a lot more significance? when you've just beheld the greatness of God? The might of God? Village, let's not get into such routines that we forget to behold our God. That we forget who He is. That is the motivation we need. That is the strength. Our strength will fail on our own. But it says in verse 31, they who wait on the Lord. And the idea of waiting, if you trace it throughout the Bible, is the idea of in a difficult situation, you trust that God can get you out of it and you continue to obey and follow Him. And so this becomes an instruction to the the captives in Babylon. Continue to follow God. Trust Him. He has not forgotten you trust his plans and so the first part of, of what we want to to be about this year at village is make sure that we're beholding our god it's something that i would challenge every ministry every teacher sunday school teacher in here to weekly as you teach your lessons i'm not saying we're going to do different lessons but as you teach your lessons always be thinking how can people see god through this everything we teach should point us back to who god is and let's be intentional about teaching that to our children, teaching that to our young people, teaching that to our adults, and coming together as a family and saying, this is our focus, reminding ourselves of that. But then that focus always has a response. And so you have the second word there, respond. Behold your God and respond. Respond. Because even in verse 31 there, what does God renew them to do? He's not renewing them to start worshiping the idols in Babylon. He's not renewing them to be as worldly as they can and to compromise. He is renewing them for what? To be strong in the Lord, to maintain their trust in God, to wait on the Lord. That is why He's renewing them. And so that requires a response of waiting on the Lord, of trusting in Him, of following Him. And so the second part is, is to respond. And I have a number of verses there, and um, we'll get through some of them, maybe not all of them, but my, my hope was to just sort of give us a, a, a broad view of how many times in Scripture we see a declaration of who God is followed by some sort of instruction or command. Behold your God, respond. And, and if you start looking for that in verses, you're going to see that everywhere in scripture just as you do your reading this week start looking for how many times does god describe who he is and reveal who he is and then ask us to respond we see that in verse 31 the response was to live in new strength or to with new strength to live for god if you think of revelations 15 2 through 4 and and i'll read these you're welcome to turn to them as we go I, they're all listed in your notes Revelation fifteen two through 4 And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Behold your God. See it? Then he goes on to the response. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. They will come and worship because your righteous acts are revealed. The righteous acts revealed, behold your God. The response coming in worship. And so we see that we're to respond in worship, glorifying God. Were are to respond to, to God's revelation by serving God. In Exodus 3, and, and really the whole chapter, 4 through 22, but uh, I'll just read the first few verses. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and this is Moses, by the way. Moses is out in, the, in the, the desert, and he comes across a burning bush, and this is God's call to Moses to act. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses! And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So part of his response was an awe and a fear of God, which we should have. But then the chapter goes on, and what is God calling Moses to do? Go back to Egypt. Serve me. Be about My work. Lead My people out of exile. But God starts with revealing who He is. In fact, before He even goes there, He says, I am. I, I am. And so we're to respond by serving God. I think of Isaiah 6, 1-8. And a little earlier in the book that we just looked at. In Isaiah is confronted with who God is as he's, he's, he's God reveals Himself. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. Two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Behold your God. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. And you see a response. Because we can't be confronted with who God is without a response. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It goes on to say one of the seraphim flies to Him and cleanses His mouth. And then God calls him to serve. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. And so we see, behold your God, and then a response of repentance and service. At Christmas, we talked about the shepherds and the angels came and revealed God's plan and they again had awe and fear, but then they responded in joy, giving glory to God. John 15.5, part of a, a much larger section, and Jesus is talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me, and, and I'd love to spend a lot of time unpacking abide this morning, but that's for another time. But, but who, who knows Me, who, who um, is living life in tune with Me, and, and, uh, y- and has Jesus at the center. Whoever abides in Me, and I in Him, he it is that bears much fruit, the result, the response. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. Philippians one eleven. I know some of you are reading through Philippians. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And you see that the fruit of righteousness is a result of, of being in Christ Jesus. And so we respond by bearing fruit to God's glory. We respond by living for God, doing His work and knowing Him in Colossians 1, 9-10. All of these things remind us of our motivation. Behold your God. And then respond. And the challenge for us is what do we look at each week? What do we look at each day? Is my focus on God? Or do I behold God an hour on Sunday morning? And maybe even respond on Sunday morning. But if we're not beholding God, if we're not abiding in Him, if we're not directing our focus on Him and Him alone, that struggles during the week. The motivation isn't there. The strength to do these things isn't there. You know, you've heard me talk a lot about making Christ the center of everything we do. That's what this is about. How can I make every moment of my week be about giving glory to God? Beholding Him and giving Him glory. That's what we're called to do. Even the mundane things. How do those things give glory to God? Familiar verse is 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. so this year as we go through this as a church we want to make sure every ministry is elevating god like i said how do we see god in this how is god working here some of the things we want to do is start in our services giving more opportunities to respond to god's word more opportunities to respond to his teaching whether it be in worship at the end or having an, an elder and his wife up here just to pray with you if you need someone to pray with it's all kinds of needs that people have that we have represented in this room. If we're responding to God, that can mean praying with somebody and giving that to God, releasing that to God, and we want to provide ways to do that. And you know, one of the things I'm excited about is we're going to continue First Corinthians, but after we've finished First Corinthians, we're going to go through a series on the names of God together. And and just enjoy God. See, we've talked about His attributes. The names of God, though, are how He's revealing Himself to a particular person in a particular situation. It's how He's relating to His people. So I'm excited about that. I loved the series on the attributes of God. I'm excited about studying the names of God and seeing how that helps us behold our God. How He's revealed Himself to His people. It's a little bit of where we're going this year reminder a few months ago we talked through our core values just because we're, we're saying behold our god doesn't mean we're, we're abandoning our core values you need to know that those are on the wall you see those up this this morning and um, thank you to the Merrigs for creating the signs and don and my dad for for putting them up but it's a reminder to us of our four core values as a church what should a church be about if we're beholding our god and responding to him this is how we as a church, respond. We respond with outreach, caring about those in our community, in our communities, in our neighborhoods around us, at our work, in our families, caring about the lost in the world that need Christ. We see Matthew or 28.19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Just for fun, that would be a response, right? That would be how we respond to God. The verse right before it, just, just to see patterns... And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. First part is behold your God. And then respond with the Gospel. If we're to be a a community about outreach, a church about outreach, we need to love the Gospel. We need to love the lost. And be intentional about our relationships. There's something I'd love to hear this year. I'd like to to hear your stories on every one of these, but especially on outreach. And if you have someone that you've shared the Gospel with or someone you're trying to share the Gospel with, would you tell me? Write it in an email, call me up, grab me on Sunday. But let's share stories of what God is doing because then I can pray for you and we can encourage each other. We want to develop a culture of outreach. A culture meaning how we think, how we behave, how we work together, pervasive in everything we do. We'll be doing a number of other things in outreach, and this morning I'm not going to like plan out the whole year for you, um, or or share every everything, but just give a bigger picture. The second core value you see there is community, being a family, and developing that as part of our culture. And I would invite you to 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 make sure that you're engaging. Make sure you're part of, of, of family here. You know, one of the, the, the best ways to do that is to be involved in community groups. And, and when someone is is struggling to engage, to feel connected, one of the questions I ask is, are you in a community group? Because that's where that happens. That's a smaller setting where we really get to know each other, where we really meet needs. And The whole church does that, but I encourage you to consider one of our community groups and, and that meet in homes during the week study God's Word, but have a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of care for each other. The third one there is spiritual growth. And we want to make sure that we're a people that is always rooted in God's Word. That is the foundation of why we're a church, of what we do as a church. And so we want to create a culture that loves God's Word, that constantly is thinking of God's Word. Sunday service is a great way to, to be fed with God's Word. Our, our adult education hour, um, some of the community groups. Those are just some of the many ways. But I'd love to see the culture be even outside of the official activities. Where, and I've shared this before, where we actually talk about what God's doing in our lives, even without someone asking us to. Maybe even in the gym while we're having a cup of coffee. We talked about that earlier this year and I I remember going in the gym and and, and I'm there visiting and someone walked up to me and said, so what's God doing, what what is God doing in your life? Like, oh, that's awkward. But I just said to do that. Why is it awkward? It's only awkward because we don't do it that often. It's not a habit. It's not part of our culture. God is great. He is magnificent. He is Lord. There's something to talk about there. Spiritual growth, as one of our core values, means God's Word is our core value. It is, it is core to what we do. I encourage you to be reading God's Word, following along in our, our reading plan or in one of your own. Um, but let's make that central. And the last core value is ministry. How can I be involved in God's work? And really to just sum up this morning and to sum up this year, we want to behold our God and we want to respond to Him, and, and we respond to Him as a church with these core values and by being about these things. And I would encourage you to ask yourself four questions, and those are in your notes, but four questions that will impact your year like no other questions if we really follow through on these. If we ask these every day, who needs Jesus that I can pray for daily and intentionally get to know? It's outreach. How can I encourage, who can I encourage in my church family this week? And I've put some timetables on there, prayer daily for someone that's lost. Encourage weekly someone different in the church. It's part of building church family. How can I grow closer to God today and help someone else in their walk this week? And where can I contribute to God's work this year? Those four questions will help you respond to who God is. And will change your year in a radical way. I guarantee it. They seem simple, don't they? Because God just says, Obey the simple truths that I've told you. But I challenge you to ask yourself those four questions every day this year in 2015. And let's be about what God wants us to be about. Oh Lord God, we behold you this morning. We read an incredible description of you in Isaiah 40. And Lord, I pray that you would help that to be our focus. Who you are what you are doing, your nature, your character, Lord, burn that on our minds as that being where we fix our eyes and fix our minds. Lord, may that be such a part of our church this year that we can't help but worship, that we can't help but serve, that we can't help but but tell people about you and what you've done. Lord, thank you for being almighty for being all-knowing, all-wise. Thank you for loving enough and having grace on us and mercy on us to send your Son for the free gift of salvation, Lord, that we can't earn. We behold you and we respond to you this year as your church. In Jesus' name.